0: Well, turning your Bibles to Second Samuel chapter 18, we've been going, of course, verse by verse all the way through. We started with First Samuel, we looked at Samuel himself, and then we saw the life of Saul. And now in Second Samuel, basically, it's David, and David is the king of Israel, and we're seeing his life. And of course, when we think of David, we think of a man after God's own heart, an amazing guy. We're seeing a time of sorrow. In David's life, his son Absalom has tried to take over the kingdom. He has rebelled. He has turned many of the people against David. David has had to actually leave Jerusalem and flee. And they've crossed the Jordan River. And Absalom has come in as the king and announced himself as the king. And then he's got an army, and they're going to go chase uh, David down and try to kill him and take over. And so there's just all these things are happening. And these are really part of the consequences from David's sin with Bathsheba. If you remember, David, the, the prophet Nathan had come to David and told him that the sword would not depart from his house, that there'd be death and sorrow. And we're seeing this. Well, this morning, as we look, we're going to see the end of the rebellion because Absalom is going to fail to take over. Absalom's army is going to lose to David, and we're going to see the outcome. And and so this morning, Absalom comes after David, and David's men are ready. So we're going to see some really sort of, sort of some exciting stuff, and a battle and those kind of things. Uh, but there's several issues I just want you to think about as we go through it. One is that each one of us is accountable to God for ourselves. Because what David would do, if he could, he would he would help his son Absalom. Absalom is in rebellion. Absalom is claiming to be the king. But if you talk to David, David says, oh, I love him and I want to take care of him. And, and the truth is, David can't take care of Absalom. And we're gonna see that each one of us is accountable to God for ourselves, our actions. We reap what we sow, and we're seeing that both in the life of Absalom and the life of David. Uh, Some of the things they've done are come back on them. And then, how do we respond in trials? How does David respond when all of these things happen? We'll see that, and we'll see how that all fits together. So there's a lot this morning. Well, you know, we always hear about the good news, bad news, or the bad news, good news kind of jokes and things, And, and the truth is, sometimes there's bad news, and then there's good news. And we think about, I I still always think back to the Oklahoma City bombing and how horrible that was. And yet, there was good news because you saw the love and the outpouring of people, and it was just amazing. Sometimes you see the same kind of thing, like there's a tornado or earthquake or something or a a hurricane, and a lot of people, there's destruction. And then people come in, you see good news, people doing that. Well, this morning, David is going to get some good news and some bad news. Uh, We're going to see the bad news and the good news. The good news is, whoops. This thing jumped way ahead. The good news is the rebellion is over. The bad news, Absalom is killed. And we're going to see what happens there. And, and, and let me just remind you of something real quickly. David's the king. Absalom, his son, who's jealous and angry at David and what David has done, he decides he's going to be king. He stole the hearts of the people, claimed himself to be the king. And David has left Jerusalem, crossed the Jordan River, and gone to the other side to a part called the Forest of Ephraim. He's gone there. Absalom has come in and he had two advisors, one named Ahithophel and one named Hushi. Hushi is David's friend and he's trying to stop Absalom. Ahithophel says, I'll get 12,000 soldiers, I'll go after David right now and I'll kill him. And that really was a good advice. But Hushi says, No, 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 no. The best thing for you to do, Absalom, you get soldiers, get a bunch of soldiers, and then you go get David and win. Of course, that sounds good to Absalom. So he says, We're going to follow that. So we know that Hushi would tell. The two priests, the two priests would tell their two sons, and their two sons would go tell David what's going on. That's where we are. And this, as we ended last time that Absalom now has got an army together and he's going after David. David has already left Jerusalem, crossed the Jordan River, and on the other side, moving on. Absalom now has got to the Jordan River and is basically crossed over and is going after David. And so it's going to be wild. Now, l- let's just say something. Let-, let me give you the outline real quickly and then we'll say something else. But we're going to see the battle, the preparation, the victory, the death of Absalom. We're going to see the report. We're going to see the runners and the good news and the bad news. But let me just say this. If you really think about it. Absalom is not a fighter. We, we made sort of the joke in the first service, Absalom's more the lover, not the fighter. He's the guy with the big hair, and, and he's handsome, and he got everybody after, you know, following him, but he's never been a warrior. David is a fighter, David is a warrior. David is a man after God's own heart. David killed Goliath when he was probably 15 years old. David is a warrior. So here is Absalom coming to battle against David, who is a great warrior. David has his mighty men. Do you remember there are over 300 men with David that were with him in the wilderness? They are fighters. Listen, this army that's coming after David is not going to have a chance. I'm just going to tell you, David is so strong. He's got mighty men. Uh, there's a list. If you'll see, We'll see it later on in the books, in, in the Bible. There's a list of David. There's, there's called the 30. And there's a list of 30 men, which were called as mighty men. And then on top of that list, we're called three men. And they say They were the three, and they were the three great warriors. And then it'll list the 30, and they'll say that these are the 30, but they're not the three. And so David has these men that can fight up a storm. And so here's Absalom coming after David, and we all know what's going to happen. David's going to win because David is a warrior and a fighter, and his men are. And so let's see what happens. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 18. Here comes Absalom. Absalom after David and see what happens. Then chapter 18, verse 1. Then David numbered the people who were with him and set over them, commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. Now, David's getting ready to go fight. David's getting ready. He's put them into groups to fight. He's appointed leaders. Look at verse 2. David sent the people out, one-third under the command of Joab, one-third under the command of Abishai, the son of Zerah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the command of Ittai, the Gittite, And the king said to the people, "'I myself will surely go out with you also.'" Now, I want you to understand that David says, okay, I'm going to divide the army into three big groups. Joab is going to take one, uh, and Abishai is going to take another, and this guy named Ittai is going to take a third. Now, remember, Joab used to be David's general over everything. But Joab, as we've said many times, Joab can do really good, and Joab can do really bad. And David is not trusting him as much as he used to. So he says, Joab, this is David's nephew, take this third of the army. He goes to Abishai, which is also David's nephew, their brother of Joab. You take a third of the army. And then there's a guy named uh, Ittai, which we go, who is this guy? If you remember, when David fled Jerusalem, got across the Jordan River, this man showed up and said, I will be with you. And David said, no, 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 you're, you don't need to, to, to fight with me. You know, to come on my side. And he says, Wherever you go, I will go. And if I have to die, I will die. I will fight with you. So David says to this man, You take over and take a third of the army. So David has divided his group into three groups of men to fight under Joab, Abishai, and Ittai. He's ready to go. Now, if you notice, the end of verse 2 says, David says, And the king said to the people, I myself will surely go out with you also. He said, I'm going to go to fight. Now, I want you to understand, David's not a young man. David became king at age 30. He was the king for 40 years, so he's 70 years old when he, gets, when he dies, basically. David may be in his 60s now. David is not a young man to go fight. We're going to even see later on in one of the other stories that David gets into trouble and is about to get killed, and a couple of his mighty men come and save his life. So David's not a young man to fight. Now, David's probably saying, I'm going to go fight because I remember the last time I didn't go to battle. I stayed home and I got myself in trouble. So he says, I'm going to go fight. But they say, no, 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 you do not need to go fight. Look what it says in verse three. The people said, you should not go out for if we indeed flee, they will not care about us. Even if half of us die, they don't even care about us, but you are worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, now it is better that you be ready to help us from the city. Now, they say this. Listen, it doesn't matter. The battle is all, they all want to try to kill you, David. They don't care about us. Half of us could die, and they don't care. They're still trying to get you. You're worth 10,000 of us, David, because you're the reason they're coming out here. They want to kill you. So they say to David, it would be better if you just stay here and let us go fight. So look what happens. Then the king said to them, verse 4, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate, and all the people went out by the hundreds and the thousands. Then there's a city, and then right outside the city is the forest, a bunch of big trees, a bunch of things called the Forest of Etherum. Now David is in a city, and it has a city gate, and it actually has two gates. There's a gate and then another gate to go into the city, and then there's an arch across that where people could stand. David's down at the bottom, and the army is going out the gate, and he's telling them as they leave, you know, go, go to battle, go to battle. So David's not going to go fight, which is the best thing for everybody. But, uh, and you know, sometimes we think this way. David says, I should go fight. And they say, no, you don't need to go fight. Sometimes we think, I need to do something. They say, wait a minute. In the body of Christ, everybody's got different gifts, talents, and abilities. You don't have to do everything. You are gifted in certain areas. You use your gifts, talents, and abilities to do that. And so David is basically saying, okay, y'all right now, you're better... Fighting than I am, y'all go do the fighting. And so he sent them out by the hundreds and by the thousands. Now, what is David going to say? Notice the next verse. The king charged Joab and Abishai and Ittai, that's the three generals basically, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king charged all the commanders concerning Absalom. Now, he says, He's standing by the gate, letting them go out. He says, "Deal kindly with Absalom for my sake." Now, wait a minute. Absalom wants to kill David. Absalom has named himself the king. Now, what do you think, Joab and Abishai and these others think? They think, "Wait a minute. You, we got to kill him. I mean, he's he's threatening. He's trying to kill you, David, and he wants to be king." And you're saying, deal gently with him? David says, yes, deal gently with my son. He says, deal gently for my sake with my young man, Absalom. And he, everybody heard him say it. And see, David loved his son and didn't want him to die, even if he was in rebellion. Now, you could see David saying something like this. Oh, just, just go capture him. Bring him back here. I'll meet with him. I'll talk with him. We'll solve all this. I can guarantee you that Joab says, first time I get a chance, I'm going to kill that guy. Because if we don't kill him and we bring him back, he may do the same thing again. So David is telling them, don't kill him. Uh, Take care of him. So look what happens. Verse six. Then the people went out into the field against Israel, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. The best we can understand, just as just a map. They originally started, of course, in, in Jerusalem. And you remember that David and them left, and they went up to across the Jordan River to Jericho area. They got in here. They kept going, and they're in they're in this this city right in here. And then here's the forest of Ephraim. Now. Uh, Absalom has left Jerusalem. He's come across the river and he's coming up this way to fight. They're going to end up doing the battle in the forest of Ephraim. Now, this this map has the forest of Ephraim here. Some other maps have it actually in this region. It could be either one. It's in that area. Nobody knows exactly for sure where it was, but that's where the battle's going to be, and we're going to see what happens. So look what happened then. We we know what's we expect this. The people of Israel, that's Absalom's people, were defeated there before the servants of David, and the slaughter that day was great—twenty thousand men. Now we expected that David's mighty men—they can fight up a storm. They're not scared of anything, and when these other soldiers start coming under Absalom's leadership. They don't know what to do, and and then this forest they get killed. Twenty thousand. Notice what it goes on to say: for the battle, there was spread over the whole countryside, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. That means people were fleeing and riding horses or mules, and they run into trees, or they you know they just. It said actually that the forest and hidden being the trees and everything has killed more people than the swords, and so it was just a terrible, terrible time. A lot of people got killed. Now watch what happened. Now, Absalom, here he is, happened to meet the servants of David. He's out with his men, and all of a sudden, here comes David's men, and he goes, I got to get out of here. So he's going to try to get out of there. For Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak, and his head caught fast in the oak, so that he was left hanging between heaven and earth, while the mule that was under him kept going. Absalom's trying to get away, and his head got hung up in the tree, and he was hanging there and caught in the tree. You can see it. He's riding. He's probably looking back. He doesn't see it. He hits a branch. He hits up in the tree. He gets hung in the tree. The mule goes on, and he's just hanging there in, in space like that, and the people can see him. Now, Josephus is a Jewish historian, and he writes and tells all kinds of things. He said that it was Absalom's hair that got caught up in there. You remember Absalom had a lot of hair, and that he cut his hair once a year, and it weighed five pounds, and he was a very prideful person. It looked like that maybe his hair got entangled in these branches, and he couldn't get loose, and he stuck up there. And so there he is. Now, what would you do if you saw him? What would you do if the man who's in rebellion against the king of Israel is caught in a tree. So look what happens. Verse 10, then a certain man saw it and he told Joab and he said, behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. So one of the soldiers comes up to Joab and says, I I, I saw him. I saw Absalom. Where was he? He's stuck in a tree. He's hanging in a tree. Well, what does Joab say? Then Joab said to the man, verse 11, who told him, he said, now behold, you saw him? Then why didn't you strike him? there to the ground. Why didn't you kill him, basically? I would have given you 10 pieces of silver and a belt. He said, what, what? Why didn't you kill him? He's hanging in a tree. This is our enemy. This is the one that's tried to be the king. Why didn't you kill him? If you kill him, I'd have given you some, some, some money and I would have given you a nice belt. Now, we're not talking about a belt like we wear today. It would be something that would hold a sword and all this. So it would be something really nice. And so he said, I would have given you all of this if you, if you would have done this. Listen, Joab is a dangerous man. You want him on your side. As I said, there are times Joab does something really good. There's time that Joab does things that are really bad. And this is going to be, watch what he does. The man said, well I, well, I saw him in the tree, and he said, why didn't you kill him? Verse 12, the man said to Joab, even if I should receive a thousand pieces of silver in my hand, I would not put out my hand against the king's son, for in our hearing, the king charged you and Abishai and Hittai, saying, protect from me the young man Absalom. He said, I could never kill him. I heard David tell you. I heard David tell the three generals, go easy on my son. Don't kill my son. Take, easy, take, take care of my son. So I could never kill him. I could never do it. And then he goes on and says something. He says, otherwise, if I had actually dealt treacherously against his life and there's nothing hidden from the king, if I'd have done that, he'd have found out, then you yourself would have stood aloof. He says, if I would do, go do this right now and kill him, and then go back to King David, he would say, you killed him, and then you'd go, I don't know. I don't know anything about this. You wouldn't even help me. So I'm not taking a chance and killing the king's son because nobody would stand by me when I go back. So what does Joab do? I, notice, then Joab said, I will not waste time here with you. Joab said, I'm not going to waste my time on you. I'm not going to listen to you stand there arguing to me about whether you ought to kill this man or not. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to talk to you about that. Then Joab said, I will not take waste time here with you. So he took three spears in his hand, thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was alive in the midst of the oak. Now let me read the next verse. And ten young men who carried Joab's arbor gathered around and struck Absalom and killed him. Now, wait a minute, three spears through the heart? That didn't kill him? I mean, think about it. The best we can understand, this word for spear doesn't mean like a long spear that you'd throw. It was usually more like a stick. And so, the best we can understand, he probably went up to Absalom and stuck him three different times up in the hard area, and it didn't kill him apparently. They pulled him down, and then 10 men beat him to death. They said, We're not putting up with him. That's it. Ten men came and beat him until he was dead. Verse 15, And ten young men who carried Joab's armor gathered around and struck Absalom and killed him. The rebellion is over. The man that wants to be the king is dead. David is okay. Joab can say, I've done what I'm supposed to do. Now let me raise a question. Why would Joab kill Absalom even after David said, be careful with my son. Go easy with my son. Protect my son. Well, first of all, I think he wanted to end the rebellion. I mean, I, if you just look at it, he, he didn't want to say, I'm going to bring this guy back and he's going to do the same thing again. I'm not going to do that. Second, I think he's ruthless. We've seen him. He's already killed two other people that he shouldn't have killed. And we're going to see that it's not over with yet. He's going to, There's going to be more people that Joab kills that he's not supposed to kill. And then I think... And this is just me, and I think he wanted to get David back. You remember, he was the general over the whole army, but when they get ready to go fight, he's not the general over the whole army. He's only the general of one-third of the army. And I think deep down he says, I'm supposed to be the real general. So why have only got a third? Why do these other two people have part of it? I think he's maybe a way to get back at David. We don't, we don't know, but he does it. He kills him. And then look at verse 16. Then Joab blew the trumpet and the people returned from pursuing Israel for Joab restrained the people. Joab blew the trumpet and said, it's over. That king is dead. King David lives. David is the king. And so they took Absalom and cast him into a deep pit in the forest and erected over him a very great heap of stones and all Israel fled to his tent. Everybody fled. All the people that... uh, Uh, they fled. Why would they do? David's still the king. Think of all these people who were on Absalom's side and now Absalom is dead and they go, I'm going home fast as I can get out of here because they know now they're in trouble because King David is still the king and they were in rebellion against him. Wow. What's going to happen to them? Let me remind you of somebody and we'll see this in the next couple of weeks. Do you remember when David left Jerusalem and he was going up the Mount of Olives and this guy by the name of Shimei came out and started cursing David and throwing rocks at him and hitting him and saying, I hope you die and everything? Uh, What's that happen to that guy when he hears that David is coming back? Think about it. I want you to notice something about verse 18 to give you an idea of what Absalom was like. Now, Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself a pillar, which is in the King's Valley, for he said, I have no sons to preserve my name. So he named the pillar after his own name, and it's called Absalom's monument to this day. Before Absalom had died, before he even went to this battle, he had erected a monument to himself. Now think about that. He said he had no sons to carry on his name. If you read Scripture, he had some sons, but apparently they died. And so he had nobody to carry on his name. So, in order because he's a prideful person, he decides that he would set up a monument to himself, and this is Absalom's monument. Now it reminds you of Saul. You remember Saul? We said Saul was a was a selfish man and a, and a, and a prideful man. When when Jonathan had a victory over the Philistines, Saul set a monument up to himself, declaring that he had the victory. If you remember that. Absalom had done the same thing. He set up a monument to himself, but He's dead. He's dead. Well, what about David? There's going to be good news, David. We have victory. There's going to be bad news, David. Your son is dead. Now let's watch what happens. How how do they get the messages? You remember in those days, they're out fighting and the battle's over and they want to get the word back to the king. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? Well, they wanted to get the word to David. And so there's Wherever they're fighting, there's two ways to go back. We'll talk about it in a second. And so what they would normally take is a runner, a, a messenger, and they would say, "You go tell the king we won the war. And the guy would take off running, and he would just run until he got to where the king was, and he would bow down, and he'd say, here's the message. We have won the war. So look right here, verse 19. Then Ahimez, the son of Zadok, said, please let me run and bring the king's news that the Lord has freed him from the hands of his enemies. Now, who is this man? Do you remember him? him as he was the son of the priest. Remember the two priests that got the message? They would tell their two sons and they would go tell David, this is one of those two sons. He's been at the battle. He turns, his father's the priest named Zadok. He tells Joab, he tells him and he says, let me go tell the news. Let me go run and tell the news. Now, Joab's going to do something right this time. He's going to do something good. Look what he says. Joab said to him in verse 20, you are not the man to carry the news this day. You'll carry the news another day, but however, you shall not carry the news today. Why? Because the king's son is dead. He said, you're not the one to carry it today. You don't need to go back and go to King David and say, by the way, Absalom is dead. You don't need to do that. You don't want, you're not the man. Sometimes bad news resulted in the death of a messenger. Sometimes that if you came not remember people say, don't kill the messenger. You know, and he says to Hena. He says, "You don't need to go. You don't need to go, because the king's son is dead. And if you go back, you've got to be the one to tell David his son is dead. You don't need to do that." Then Joab, verse twenty-one, said to the Cushite. Now the Cushite is a person from Cush, northern Africa. He's been in there. He's with the Jewish people. We don't know. We don't. We don't even know his name. He doesn't give us his name. It says, Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go tell the king that you have what you have seen. So the Cushite bowed to Joab and ran. So there's this guy. He's going to go take the message. He's going to run fast and take the message. And we don't know how far they had to go. Uh, if they're fighting in the forest of Ephraim, Ephraim and David's at that, t- it's maybe, maybe 10, maybe 10 miles, maybe, maybe 15 miles. Anyway, they, they want to run. And what we find out is this. So he's taken off with the message look what happens. Then Hines, verse 22, the son of Zidek said one more time to Joab, oh, please, whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. Let me go too. And Joab said, why would you run, my son, since you'll have no reward for going? See, they would usually pay the people when they got to the end and they gave the message, they would pay them for running. He says, listen, somebody else is already running. You won't get any money if you go run and tell a message. I mean, you know, we've already sent somebody. And he says, but whatever happens, he said, I will run. So he said, run. Then Ahimez ran by the way of the plane and passed up the Kushite. Now we want himas on our track team. I mean, right, I mean, see, so what happens, he takes off and Ahimez took, takes a shortcut and passes the Kushite. Uh, it, it, it's Cushite so somehow he outruns the guy that's already ahead now I looked up you know just part of the history and part of the things and we know that there were two ways maybe to get back to that town one of them was more rocky it was shorter but it was more mountainous the other was a plain and it was longer probably the Cushite went up over the mountain part which would take longer and the other guy as, uh, ran around the plain and ran faster and he got there ahead of David I mean excuse me ahead of the Cushite so what's going to happen when he gets there Verse 24, and um, so he's past him, he's, he's got there. Verse 24, David was sitting between the two gates. Remember I said, two gates of the city, there's a gate, then an open space and another gate, and then there's an archway across that connects them. He's sitting out there waiting for the news. And, he, and, and, and notice what happened. David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman, that's the one up looking, up on the roof of the gate by the wall, raised his eyes and looked, and behold, a man running by himself. And the watchman called and sold the king. And the king said, if he's by himself, it's good news in his mouth. And he came nearer and nearer. Now listen, when they looked out and they see one is running, usually one by running himself, is usually good news. Now if a bunch of people are running back, that's usually bad news. That means they got beaten, they're running for their lives. And so we see one man running and they say, there's a guy running. And he said, well, that's good, that's good. If it's just one guy running, he's probably got good news. And then he goes on to say, uh, then the watchman saw another man running. And that's the Cushite. And the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, Behold, there's another man running by himself. And the king said, Well, this one probably is also bringing good news. So he said, This, this is good. Uh, it, it, it's going to be good. We got two people running, but they've, they've, I'm sure they've got good news message. Look what happens. The watchman said, I think, I think the running of the first one is like the running of Ahinez, the son of Zadok. And the king said, Oh, this is a good man. He comes with good news. Remember it? Good people bring good news, bad people bring bad news. So you don't want to bring bad news because they'll think you're bad. So he's coming with good news, that's what he thinks. So look what happened. Ahimas called and said to the king, all is well. And he prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground. And he said, blessed is the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who lifted their hands against my Lord, the king. So he comes and says, all is well. Everything's good. May all of these people, God has blessed, he has delivered up the people who were against my Lord, the king. So he thought, this went great. This went great. Then the king said, is it well with the young man Absalom? What? How am I going to answer that? I, I can't, I, surely I can't tell him his son's dead. I think now has realizes why Joab wanted him to stay. He didn't want to have to tell David that Absalom was dead, so he lies. Watch what he says. The king said, is it well with the young man Absalom, this is verse 29, and Ahenaz answered, when Joab sent the king's servant and your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I didn't know what it was. He says, "Um, well I left and there was a lot of stuff going on, it was chaotic and everything, that's why I don't know anything. He's lying, is he lying, did he know? Look back at verse 20. Joab said to him, you're not the man to bring the news today. You shall bring news another day. However, you shall bring no news this day. Why? Because the king's son is dead. So Himas has to lie to keep from telling David that his son is dead. Verse 31, behold, the Cushite arrives. And the Cushite said, let my Lord, the king, receive good news. For the Lord has freed you this day from the hand of all those who rose up against you. This is good news. And the king said to the Cushite, is it well with the young man Absalom? How's my son, how's my son? And the Cushite answered, let the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise up against you for evil be as that young man. Let all the enemies be like him. You know what he says? Your son's dead. May everybody that ever rises up against you have the same fate that they all die because they should not have raised up against you. So David realizes Absalom is dead. Now, at this stage, he doesn't know what happened. All he knows is he's dead. He doesn't know who killed him. He did not know how he got killed. He doesn't know anything. And we're going to see, he's going to find out some things. But look at David's response. Sorrow and sadness. Watch. The king was deeply moved. And he went up into his chamber over the gate. He went up on that top part and he wept. Oh, my son, Absalom. My son, my son, Absalom. Would I have died instead of you, oh, Absalom? My son, my son. I wish I could have died instead of you. That's what he wanted. We're going to talk about why David is so upset. And let me tell you something. David's going to make a big mistake. Because the men are going to think that David cared about Absalom more than he cared about them. And the men are going to say, he'd be better off. He would be happier if we were all dead and Absalom was alive why is David so upset? Some people say that maybe David knew that Absalom had never believed in the Messiah, had never believed in the, the Savior and that, that he wasn't saved and, and, and that's why he's so upset. Or maybe it's just because he's so young and he would say, he's got his whole life ahead of him and now he's gone. Or it's just because David loved him so much and, 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 that, and that's true and all that could be true. But as I said, David makes a great mistake. The soldiers will think that David would rather have all of them be dead rather than Absalom. And next time, and we'll see it next week, there's almost going to be another rebellion because of what David does. Well, we've seen the battle. David divides his men, goes to battle, take care of my son Absalom. David's men wins. Absalom gets caught. Joab kills him, ends the battle. Two messengers go. First one comes and says all is well, but he lies because he doesn't say about Absalom. And the second one comes and tells the truth that Absalom is dead. So let me give you some applications just to think through some of this. First of all, let's understand we reap what we sow. If you live in the power of the flesh, there's gonna be death and sorrow. If you live in the spirit, there'll be life and blessing. That's just the way it is. All of us who know Christ as Savior, we have, still have the flesh, but we also have the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and wherever we walk, if we walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's a battle going on. If we want to have great victory in our lives, we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever we're walking in, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Ever how we live, it's going to be that way. Look at this. Am, Amnon, David committed sexual sin, so I none committed sexual sin just like David. I can get this to work. I can keep, there we go. Absalom murdered. David murdered. I mean, think about All these things keep coming back. And in the lives of these men, Amnon, what did he do? Sexual sin, he ended up dying. Absalom uh, killed, and he ends up dying. What's happening to David? Remember that Nathan the prophet said, the sword will never depart from your family. And so we got to realize that there are consequences. Sometimes when we sin, there are consequences, and and we'll reap what we sow. And so we want to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, not the flesh. The second is, let's realize everybody is account- every one of us is accountable to God. And, and David couldn't make Absalom believe. He couldn't save Absalom. He couldn't protect Absalom. He couldn't even die for Absalom. He might could have tried to do something like that, but he couldn't. And all David could do is say, whatever Absalom does, I can't, I can't help him. And the truth is, for every one of us, we, we really can't do much for other people. You can't die for somebody else. You can't save somebody else. When you stand before Jesus Christ or when they stand before Christ, it's going to be them by themselves and you by yourself. We'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ to be judged for the things we've done in this body, whether good or worthless, talking about our rewards. And so when we really think about it, uh, each one of us is accountable for our own lives. Now, you start saying, you know, he's saying, I wish I could have died in his place. We can't die for somebody else in that sense, not to save them but we do have somebody who took our place. Every one of us in this room have sinned and come short of the glory of God and we owe God death. We're supposed to be separated from God. What did Jesus do? He came and took our place. He died in our place so that we might have eternal life. He died taking the penalty of our sins, being separated from the Father, rose from the grave, and offers the gift of eternal life to all who simply believe. We do have someone who took our place. Let us be people who bring the good news message. We talked about it a little bit in Grow Group about taking the message of Jesus Christ. We're looking at the life of Paul and everywhere Paul went, he told people about Jesus. We think about our lives. Do, does everywhere we go, do we tell people about Jesus? What was the last time that you actually shared your faith with someone? Now, I'm gonna tell you the truth. You may say, well, I don't really know what to say. Yes, you do. All you have to do, you know John 3.16. All you have to say is God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave his son Jesus to die and rise again that whosoever, that's anyone, would believe in him, not works but faith, would never perish but have eternal life. You know John 3.16. You can share your faith with that one verse. So we want to be ready to give the good news. The gospel is the death and resurrection of Christ and whoever believes in him has eternal life. Let's be people who take the good news into this culture, into this world. Now, in, in England... He said maybe 4% go to church, 3%. Last thing I read, it was under 3%, but it may be different now. They said 4 but less than 1% in that whole country are believers. In America, they say, if you read the surveys, that about 60%, 58% of the people go to church in the United States, 58%. That's a lot better than 4 How many of those people have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life? Ask them. There are people who go to church every Sunday that if you said, if you were to die, would well, you go to heaven? You know what they're going to say? I hope so. They don't even know. If you ask them what the salvation message is, many of them will say, I, I, I don't know. It is our responsibility to help people understand the good news message. Let's be people who bring the good news. Last but not least, let's trust God in the trials of life. And we're going to see that David up to this point has done so well. right now he changes and he begins to show that he's so upset that he's not trusting God and that his own men are ready to rebel against him on what's happened so great things we'll see some more next time may we take the good news to this community and may we know that to each one of us will stand before God and we are so thankful that we have a substitute Jesus Christ who took our place who died for us and that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life.